All right, all right. Welcome, welcome. So glad that you're here today. If you're a guest with us, my name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview, and it's so good to have you worshiping with us here today. As we begin our time together, I want to read a scripture to you. It's found in the book of Psalms, verse uh, chapter 22. I just want you to listen, all right? Listen to how it breaks down. This is really important, I think, for us. Psalm 22, starting in the first couple of verses. Listen to how David, who's writing this, is praying to God. And ask yourself, have you ever felt these prayers? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? Why are you so far from my words and my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. If there's one thing the Bible teaches us is that it's completely safe for you to be honest with God. You can't hurt his feelings. Right? That's a good thing. You can't, you can't hurt his feelings. He's not going to start pouting because you, you uh, dare say something that he may not like. But I want you to listen. So, so that's the first two verses. And then if you, if you look in your Bible, the way your Bible is set up, there's probably going to be a little space there in between verse 2 and verse 3. There's a little bit of a space. And the implication behind that is there's some time that has lapsed there. We don't know how long. Maybe he walked off for five minutes, came back and thought differently. Maybe it was five days. Maybe it was five weeks. Maybe it was five months. Who knows? But he lays out this first prayer. He takes a step back and ponders on who God truly is. Like, first couple of verses, he's thinking about his circumstances. He takes a step back and starts thinking about God. And then we get verse 3. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. And in you they trusted and were not put to shame. Here's my encouragement for you. Some of you may find yourself in the first couple of verses or in the little pause in between. Our prayer for you today is that you'll make that transition to verse 3. Number one, if that's where you are the first couple of verses or kind of in that middle ground trying to figure it out, take good courage. A guy who wrote the Bible felt the same way. It's completely fine. It's a part, one thing about the, the, what's called the, the wisdom literature, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. It, it's about practically feeling and living out the Christian life. It's a part of it. So I want to encourage you as we worship together today. Let's seek who God is. Not the circumstance, not the situation, but who God is. And as you see who God truly is, I believe he'll transform and transition you into that next phase where you say, but God, I trust you. I trust you. And I believe that you will rescue out of this. I don't know what rescue looks like. I don't know what that means. But I trust that you're going to do it. So I want to encourage you to bow your heads for me. And I want to pray for us as we begin our worship time together. Again, I don't know where you are in your heart, in your life. But I want to encourage you here this morning. Let's, let's set our hearts on who God is. And as we set our hearts on who God is, we'll be empowered to trust Him. Lord God, I ask you, I ask you here today for those that may find themselves in the why have you forsaken me phase. 
Some that may find themselves in that middle ground where they, they know that's not true, but they haven't quite come to God. I completely trust you in this. They're in that middle. I pray, God, for them here today that they would, they would turn their eyes to you. They would see you for who you truly are and that you would speak words of truth over them here today. And I pray for those who are in that verse 3 and, uh, and, and 4 now. They're, they're trusting in you. The situation may not be resolved. It may not be fixed. But they're trusting in you. I pray that trust remains and is strong and is grounded and is sure in you and who you are. Thank you, God. Raise up your people today as we worship you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship the Lord together. Good morning, church. Because those things are true, we can sing with confidence. Let's celebrate. I'll raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I'll raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. I raise a hallelujah, my weapon is a melody, oh no, I raise a hallelujah, heaven comes to fight for me.
true church. Come on. Woo. Yes. What an amazing God we serve. Amen. Yes, yeah, so let's do this. We're going to learn a new song today, church. And the name of the song is The Battle Belongs. And it's based in part on Second Chronicles where King Jehoshaphat of Judah, he, he, is, he is at a, at, a, at a point where there are multiple armies coming for him, coming for his people, and he's terrified. And Pastor Brad has talked about this on occasion. He is terrified. And notice what God says. He says, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde for the battle is not yours but God's. He goes on, he says, you will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord. And the truth of the matter is, church, that that still holds true for believers today. And it's not that, it's not that you won't have a battle. It's not that terrible and trying things won't occur in your life. It's not that your family won't get cancer or your kid might fall away. As God says, I will fight this battle for you. And the greatest battle ever won was Christ on the cross for all those who would believe that we would submit and we would say, yes, Lord, lead me, guide me. My life is yours. And that's why we celebrate these songs, church. And that's why we sing of the victory that's already occurred and our hearts because of Christ Jesus. And if that's not true for you specifically here today, I pray that you would listen to the saints sing and God would turn your heart back to him. Let's sing and celebrate. Yes. Let's sing together. see is the battle you see my victory when all I see is a mountain you see a mountain and as I walk through the shadow your love surrounds me there's nothing to fear There is nothing to fear now, for I am safe with you. So when I fight, I'll fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. And every fear I lay at your feet, I'll sing through the night. There's nothing impossible for me. When all I see, when all I see are the ashes, you see the beauty. When all I see is a cross, God, you see the empty tomb. Yeah. So when 
can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows. You win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. Almighty fortress, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows. You win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. Almighty fortress, you go before
See the church. All right. Uh, Brian, could you join me? I'm not sure where you are. I'm looking in the in the darkness. All right. Come on down. So, um, it's like the price is right. Uh, so, um, some of you may know that we, uh, one of our guys, Eddie uh, Rouse, had the opportunity to head to uh, the Ukrainian border uh, a couple weeks ago and uh, do some humanitarian work down there with uh, Baptist Relief. Uh, just was an amazing opportunity for him, and I look forward for him to be able to kind of give us a little bit of insight as to what uh, he experienced there. One of another guys, come on up, Brian, is uh, doing the same thing. He's heading um, down as well to do some humanitarian relief, some work there uh, with uh, Ukrainian refugees uh, fleeing the country. So I want to take just a minute and pray for him, the congregation, that God would empower him as he goes, that God would obviously keep him safe, but that God would um, in that as well empower him to be a minister for the gospel as he is caring for those in need. Can we take a second and pray for him? Is that, is that all right for you guys? So I'm going to pray. You pray. God's awesome. He can hear us all at the same time. So let's all pray together, lifting Brian up, all right? So God, I just thank you for Brian. I thank you, God, for his willingness to go. I thank you, God, that his yes is on the table. And he says, all right, God, whenever you want me to go, I'll go. And when an opportunity arises, he's just there. I pray, God, that that spirit uh, just really permeates our entire congregation, God, that our yes is on the table. We just say yes to whatever you tell us to do. We want to do it. So I pray, God, that you would allow more of that to rise up in us. And I pray, God, specifically for Brian, God, that as he goes, God, you would empower him, you would strengthen him, God, that you would use him to be a minister for the gospel. I pray, God, that you would allow him to, to truly be the hands and feet of you, Jesus, and that as his good works shine, they'll bring glory to you, God. I pray, God, that you would do this, protect him as he travels, but God, empower him, God, to go out as a minister in your name. Bless him, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, buddy. We're looking forward to it. Yes, you can go back up now. Go make me sound good. All right. All right. Amen. Amen. All right. Hey, if you have a Bible, let's find James 5 together. All right. James 5. And I don't know if you heard, apparently there was a basketball game last night. I don't know if you heard, I am, I'm drinking out of my Clemson mug today as protest because I was praying that God would allow both teams to lose. <laughs> Alas, God did not hear my prayers, so uh, congratulations to all the Tar Heel fans. Um, and just like that, we all love Kansas. So, James chapter 5. So if you've been with us through the book of James, you know that our main theme has been 
that uh, a faith that saves you will also change you, right? That as you believe by faith in, tr- in Christ and trust by faith in Christ, that God will bear fruit out in your life. You'll change. You'll be different. You'll grow. You'll shift. Right? You'll, you'll, you'll repent of sin. Things you used to do a year ago, you don't do anymore, right? Things like, like that. And so and all this series long, and we have one more after this one. Next week, we'll finish up the book of James just in time for Easter. But... But as we're going through James, again, we're trying to get some practical understanding of how do you live out the Christian faith in a way that bears out real fruit and empowers you to live a life that brings glory and honor to God. And so as we do that today, uh, we're going to come to the understanding that in order for you to live a life that brings glory and honor to God, in order for you to bear out Christian fruit, you must understand this idea that Jesus is all of your life, right? He is everything. Colossians 3, 4 says that Jesus is my life. Colossians 3, 17 says whatever you do and what word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything is about Jesus. Your entire life, we can really compartmentalize life, right? And so we our, our walk with God is important, we understand that, and that's important, the spiritual life is important for us, but then we kind of siphon off everything else, right? You have the spiritual life, and then you have your real life, right? Your, your finances, and your family, and your work, and your school, and, and relationships, and, 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 and your health, and all these things, we sort of siphon those off as different, but it's important, God's important, like, that's really important to me, but, but then you have these almost dueling tracks that you're living on. What I want us to see today in the scriptures is that that is a a grossly unbiblical way of viewing your life. And it's kind of the reason why everything keeps falling apart. Right? It's kind of the reason why you can't get traction. It's kind of the reason why you feel like you're struggling in your faith. It's kind of the reason why you get really, really, really frustrated with all these other areas over here. Because you're, you're trying to live all of that completely separate from how God intended for you to live it. With Christ as your life in the midst of all of these things. Is that making sense so far? We'll try to help it. So, James 5, verse 13. Let's read James 5, 13 through 18 together. And then we'll work our way back through it. James 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. All right, so here's our big idea for today. Our big idea is our response to every circumstance should always be to turn to the Lord. Our response in every single circumstance, good, bad, whatever. As we go through the scriptures, we're going to see in times of suffering, in times of cheerfulness, in times of of sickness, in times of sin, in everything. Good, bad, up, down, mountaintop, valley, all the things. Our response, if, if Christ is really in us, and it's true that Christ is really my life, and it's true that everything I say, do, think should be done in his name for his glory, if that's true, then my response to every 
single circumstance should be to turn to him. All right, so let's, let's see where we get that. Let's jump back into verse 13. Our first big idea is this. When you are suffering, pray. Verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Pretty simple, correct? Uh, that word suffering literally means distress. And it brings with it anything, right? Any kind of distress or difficulty you feel in your life. Um, you um, Physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, financial, relational. Any, anything, if, if anything hits your heart and immediately something of discouragement or discomfort or, 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 or suffering wells up inside of you, your immediate response should be to pray. Now, oftentimes when things hit us, we do respond. Every one of us has a response mechanism. We have an immediate thing that we do, but oftentimes, if we're honest, it's not pray. Right? Something hits us that's suffering. Something hits us that's, that's distressing. What do we do? Some of us will kind of turn inward. You immediately start that internal dialogue. Right? You're talking through it with yourself. You're having imaginary conversations with other people. You're imagining 14 steps ahead of time and what you're going to do if that happens. Some of us, you respond with emotion. You have outbursts. Some of us respond in depression. You immediately, as soon as it hits, you drop to the bottom floor. Some respond by going to people, family, friends, even pastors or spiritual mentors. Now, is there anything wrong with that? No. Go to people who love Jesus, can pray for you, and give you godly encouragement and counsel. That's great. But look again at verse 13. The command here is abundantly clear. Is anyone among you suffering? That person should be praying. Right? You need to pray. Is it, is it good to have other people pray with you? Sure. Is it also good at times not to tell anyone and you just pray? Yes. Yes, that's really, really good. Because what that does is that's now building a relationship with you and God. Is that making sense? That's now developing that. It's not the pastor's prayers. It's not your friend's prayers. It's not your mama's prayers. It's your prayers. You're calling up to him because you're in distress. So a question do you do this? Think about the last thing that hit you that just made you mad, upset you, discouraged you, knocked you sideways. You didn't see that one coming. What was the first thing that welled up inside of you? If it wasn't prayer, be of good courage. You're probably in the majority in the room. What I'm telling us is what the Bible tells us is that it should be. Right? If Christ is our life, if anything distressing hits us, our immediate response to him should be pray. Right? So if anything distressing happens, pray. Next, also verse 13, when you are cheerful, sing. Right? So it's getting the highs and the lows. Is anyone suffering? Anyone distressed? Pray. Anyone cheerful, let him sing praise. Our response to times of joy and happiness should be to sing praises to God. Oftentimes we'll turn to God when things are bad, right? That foxhole Christianity, things are bad, oh no, run to God. But when things are good, can we just chat for a second? When things are really good, and you're sitting down at the kitchen table, and you've got good food, and everybody's doing great in life, 
And all the kids are acting like sane, normal people. You're sitting there. It's so easy to, to, to relish in that moment and not turn to God and pray. Does that make sense? And it says here, our response in times of joy should be to sing. In fact, notice here, it's a command. If you are cheerful, sing. So let's talk about singing just for a second. You ready? Now, as adults, the idea of singing publicly in front of other adults, we would rather take a roofing hammer to the forehead, correct? Right? Not so, and this is the only context in your life you're going to be told to do that. Right? You're not going to show up to work tomorrow. You walk into a staff meeting. Your boss comes in and says, all right, before we start, I want everyone to stand. We're going to sing together. Right? Sweet Caroline. Guys in the back, I want to hear the pop, pop, pause. Let's go. Ready? Right? That's not going to happen. Right? This is it. This is the only time in your life someone's going to stand up and say, I want everyone to stand surrounded by a few hundred of people you don't know and sing out loud. And so you know what you do? I, again, I tell you over and over, we can see you. Right? We can, we can see you. So what do we do? You either do this. Or, like, you'll add a little bit. Like, some of you, I see you. Like, I see you. You'll try to sing, but you want to do it in a way where no one actually hears you. Right? So, So let's start here. Let's admit the awkwardness. All right? Let's admit that. It's awkward. I'm not a singer. I don't sing well at all. And I'm serious when I say that. It's bad. I'm not good at it. Um, but I want you to see why we sing. You do not sing because you're good at singing. You do not sing because you enjoy singing. You do not sing because the band played your jam. You do not sing because the band is really good. You sing out of a response to who God is. Is this making sense? I want to read a scripture to you. Psalm 9 verse 11. It's not going to be on the screen, but you can jot it down. Psalm 9 11. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. The idea behind it is I'm singing because of who God is and what he's done. A mark of how spiritual a church is, is how well they sing. It is an indicator for how spiritually healthy a church is. Here's why. Because the reason you sing well is because you see and understand who God is. And if we don't sing, that is because we don't really know who God is. You sing as a result of who God is, how great he is, how glorious his salvation is in you, how much you did not deserve it, but God graciously just showered it onto you, and he is with you and in you and dwelling in you and empowering you, and you can trust him, and he's never going to leave you. And as a result of that, you sing. And if you don't sing, it's because all the things I said right there, you may know it in your head, but you do not live it in your heart. 
This is a great mirror test. Hold the Bible up in front of you and use it as a mirror. Do you sing? If you do not, please don't allow Satan to deceive you into thinking, well, that's just because I'm not a singer. That's because, you know, I'm not eight. Uh, uh, that's just because it's not my skill set. I'm really kind of more into the teaching. I just kind of prefer that part of the service. I just kind of work through the singing part. And I, I really like the teaching. Don't let Satan deceive you into that. The reason we do not sing is because we do not truly see God for who he is. If you really see God for who he is, how glorious he is, how amazing his works are, singing will flow out of you. It will flow out of you. And that was a process for me. Like, I did not, I was not a good singer for a long time. Not, not like, technically, like, I don't know about that. But like, I didn't sing well in church for a long time. In fact, I'll be honest with you, I used to stand in church watching other people do this and not get it. Like, I just don't get it. I didn't understand. Like, that's your thing, right? It's just not, just not my thing. I didn't understand what they were doing. I'm more of an introvert. But as I began to grow in my understanding of who God is, singing to him became much more natural. Am I talented at it? No. My kids will look at me during service like, Dad, you need to drop it a little bit. But I sing because I'm growing more and more and more in my knowledge who God is. And as I see more and more who God is, I can't help but sing to him. Can't help but sing. Are you cheerful? Sing. Sing. God is good. His works are amazing. His salvation is glorious. I just want to sing. I just want to sing. So then it keeps on going. Next, in verse 14, when you are sick, anoint and pray. So now it's going through all of life, the ups, the downs, the goods, the bads. Right now we're talking about sickness, like you are experiencing some kind of physical ailment in your body. What do we do? We turn to the Lord. Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So here's what's going on. Someone who's experiencing a physical illness. It says they're called to the elders. The elders are pastors, right? Those two words are synonymous in the Bible. So it's talking about call to the pastors. Let the pastors come in, anoint with oil. There's nothing magical or mystical about it. It's just a symbol. Oil in the Bible represents the Holy Spirit, represents setting someone apart for God. And so as we pray for someone, anointing them with oil, praying over them in the name of the Lord. Again, it's not the oil. It's not the elders. It's Jesus who's doing this. We're praying over them in the name of the Lord. We're asking God to do a work. Now, does this mean that you don't go to the doctor? Of course you go to the doctor. Take your medicine. Go to the doctor. All those things. We're not saying that you don't do any of that. Do all of that. But what this text is asking is, do you ever even turn to God? Is this even a thought? Other than just sort of a, a, a assumed, hey, you guys pray for me because I'm going to go through this. It's the thought in your mind, no, I want to turn to God and ask God to heal me. I want to ask God to heal me. 
And, and we'll chat in just a second about what that could look like and what happens when it does. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. But what I want to ask is, does it even come to your mind? Now, a lot of times we don't pray for healing, and here's why. Again, I've been Baptist since nine months before I was born, okay? I know all the goofiness. So, we don't pray for healing because in our minds we're thinking, well, what happens if it doesn't happen and I went out on this limb? God's going to look bad. Right? If I pray for healing and God doesn't heal me, then people are going to go, oh, well, you thought God was going to heal you. Can I just encourage you with this? God doesn't need you to protect his name. He's big enough to worry about that himself. He doesn't need you disobeying the Bible out of some vain attempt to make him not look bad. He's got it, thanks. He's good. Just trust him. So then verse 15, it keeps on going. And what happens as, as a result of this, what happens next? And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Let's unpack this just for a quick second. It says the prayer of faith, when you're praying faithfully, right? There's nothing magical again about this prayer. This is not meant to be some formula, right? Prayer plus faith plus oil equals you have to be healed. That's not what's happening here, and we'll talk about that again here in just a moment. But there is saying here, there is something about the prayer of faith. I trust God to do this. I believe for God to do this. And we pray. We call the elders around us. And they dedicate this person to the Lord and say, God, you do what only you can do in their lives. It says the prayer of faith will save. So the word save there is really interesting. It's in the Greek, soza. It's the same word that's used for your spiritual salvation. It can also be used for healing. So I think there's a double connotation here. It can mean physical healing. And it can also mean spiritual healing. Right? This person getting saved. This person having, experiencing a deeper walk with the Lord. It, it talks about there in verse 15, again, on the hill of that. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. This does not mean that every illness is the direct result of a sin. Right? The Bible doesn't teach that. That's not what's going on here. But he is referring here to the fact that there are some illnesses that come as a result of sin. Like that's true. 1 Corinthians 11.30. The Apostle Paul is writing to that church and says, Hey, listen guys, you want to know the real deal? Some of you are sick. And some of you in the church, some of your friends in the church have died. You know why that is? Because you have sin in your life, you refuse to repent, and you keep taking the Lord's Supper pretending like you're not sinning. And so God killed some of you for that. That's why you're sick. So there is something to this. Sin is serious. And if God has to make you sick to get you to stop sinning, he's totally cool with that. Like he's fine with that. Now it doesn't mean, again, that every illness is a result of that. But we want to ask him. We want to ask. Again, it's in the Bible for a reason. So he says here, if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. He'll be raised up. There's something here about going to the Lord when we're experiencing these times of sickness. Going to him and trusting God with this. Do we still go to the doctor? Yes. In the hospital? Yes. In medicine? Yes. We're not against any of that. Two books in the Bible were written by a doctor, Luke and Acts. He seems to be the Apostle Paul's personal physician. Multiple times in the Bible, medical advice is given to people. There's nothing wrong with that. But my question, I think the Bible's question for us is going to be, do you even think of going to the Lord? In everything, in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus Christ for the glory of God the Father. That's why we do everything. Jesus is my life, so I go to him for everything. 
I go to him for everything. So healing, real quick. A couple of thoughts. Let's um, try to answer just a couple of quick questions. Um, does the Bible talk about healing? Yeah, a whole lot, actually. Jesus healed a bunch. You see 27 times in the Gospels where Jesus healed an individual, 10 times where he healed groups of people. Right? So we're talking that we know of, multitudes of people that were healed through Jesus. Um, in the book of Acts, you see the apostles healing. You see 14 times in the book of Acts the apostles healing someone. In fact, 12 out of the 28 chapters in Acts, almost half the book, has a healing in it. Right? This is something that's consistently happening. Does healing still happen today? Do we believe that healing still occurs today? Yes, 100% we do. We believe that God heals today. And we believe that scriptures like this are calling us to lean into the Lord for that and ask him to do that. Does God have to heal you? No. No. We do not believe that if you have enough faith, God is going to heal you. Again, we do not believe that there's some kind of formula. Prayer plus faith plus oil equals boom, you got to be healed. That is not the way this works. It hasn't worked that way in any of the Bible, and it hasn't worked that way throughout any of church history. That's not the way it works. I know that some people teach that. We love them, but we would say that they're wrong. God is not a pinata, and your faith is not a stick. And if you hit him hard enough, he has to break out and give you candy. Right? He is sovereign God over all creation. He's sovereign over all things, and that includes healing or not healing. We trust him. We have multiple times in the New Testament where people did not get healed. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23, Paul is writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. and he tells, So Timothy's sick in some way, something with a stomach. He's having some kind of chronic stomach issue. And now it doesn't say this, but I have to imagine the Apostle Paul, this dude's legit. So I have to imagine he prayed for his son Timothy to get healed. I got to believe that happened. I can't imagine that Paul's like, eh, I'm not going to pray for him. Right? He loved him. I have to believe that Paul prayed. It's total conjecture on my part, but I think it's true. But it doesn't happen. In fact, you see in 1 Timothy 5.23, Paul is having to give him medical advice. Hey, drink a little wine for your stomach to calm that down. And I love that verse because Baptists don't know what to do with it. Right? On one hand, it seems to be slapping down the health and wealth gospel. But on the other hand, he's telling them to drink wine. And Baptists are like, I don't know what to... Do I like it or not? I don't know. But what you see here is someone who has faith, someone who has a father in the ministry who has great faith, but the guy's not getting healed. Same thing happening in 2 Timothy 4.20, Trophimus. So Trophimus is this guy that's traveling with Paul, and he's so sick, Paul has to leave him behind to get medical attention because he can't physically keep going. We have to, again, assume conjecture. We have to assume Paul prayed for the guy. And God said no. Nope. He's going to stay behind. And there's a deeper reason why. We don't see in the scriptures why that was, but we have to believe that that's true. And you even see Paul himself in 2 Corinthians 12. Paul is praying that he would be healed from something. Some kind of physical thorn in the flesh. Right? 2 Corinthians 12 says at least three different occasions... Paul pleaded with God, begged God to remove this, to heal him in this. And every single time God said, no, my grace is going to be sufficient for you. I want you to walk through this. 
There's a greater thing that I want to accomplish. We see for Paul, the issue was pride. God wanted to make sure humility was worked into his boy. And so he said, no, 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 no. I mean, this guy's writing books of the Bible and raising people from the dead. He's going to need a check at some point. And so God was like, no, no, I, I need you to not be able to get your own prayer answered. I need you to stay sick. I don't understand all of that. But he did it. So, no, God doesn't always heal. So then what do we do? I think, one, we pray very faithfully that God would heal. Again, I don't think we hedge our bets. I don't think we're afraid of, of stepping out there, but what if God says no? What if people think a thing, and if I say publicly I'm praying for healing, and then God doesn't happen, what do I do? We trust God with that stuff. I think we pray. I think you call for the elders to anoint you and pray over you. The Bible tells you to do that. You need to do that. You know, I've been here for three years. I've had two people ask me to do that. I praise God for that. There should have been a lot more. A lot of you are sick. Pray, ask, trust God. And then if it doesn't happen, God's our great dad. We trust him. We trust what he's going to do. We trust the bigger plan. We lean into his grace. We ask him to empower us. But the big question I want to ask is, again, if all of life is Christ, if he is my entire life, my question for us is, in times of sickness, is calling to the Lord just sort of this tacked-on thing that you do? It's like, yeah, 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 we're praying, pray for us. That's great. But I think what God is calling us to is in those times to truly, intentionally push in in faith and say, God, by your grace, if you'd be so good, I'm asking that you'd heal me. And then we just trust him. And we trust him. And then the next. All of life is about turning to Christ, so that also includes when you sin. Verse 16. When you sin, confess and pray. Look at verse 16. So kind of coming off that that idea of confession. Verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. The word confess, uh, the root word literally means to say the same thing. So basically... When you confess sin, what it means is you're agreeing with God. You're saying what God has already said about the thing, right? That's confession, right? God says that's sin, and so you're admitting and saying the same thing that God is saying, that's sin, right? That's, that's confession. And specifically it says here, and this is really important because, again, awkward zone. Here we go. Verse 16, confess your sins to God. It doesn't say that. Now, obviously we do that, but that's not what verse 16 says. Confess your sins to one another. Pastor, my spiritual life is private. I understand that. But your private spiritual life is disobeying the Bible. This says, confess your sins to one another. Why? Satan and sin desperately desires to keep you in the shadows. The more you're in the shadows, the more power sin has in your life. 
and we try, we, Satan lies to us and we lie to ourselves. I've told you over and over in the book of James, the prophet Jeremiah, the heart is deceitfully wicked. We lie to ourselves over and over and over. So here's what you're going to say to yourself. I'm just going to confess this to God, but you're not really confessing it to God. It's just a way of you not having to tell anybody else. Listen, so you keep confessing it to God, and, and, and I know you think, okay, well, this time when I confess it's going to work, this time it's going to work. How long, you, you've been struggling with porn since you were 13, now you're 35. You think it's magically going to work now? Oh, this is the time. This, can, this one is, the, I really mean it this time. Or the Bible told you how to get set free, and you haven't done that. The Bible told you, here's what you do. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. That's how this happens. The more he can keep you in the shadows, the more he can keep you defeated. You must be drugged into the light. You must have this sin drugged into the light. Light is the great disinfectant. Light cleanses this. The reason you've continued to struggle is because you have fought tirelessly to make sure no one knows. And can we be honest? There's nothing more exhausting than walking in this room and trying to pretend to be something you know you're not. And you're terrified that someone might figure it out. So you work tirelessly to keep that thing hidden. Which is why you're never going to get set free. You'll struggle with that until the day you die. You won't get set free. Because the Bible told you how to get set free. And you don't want to do that. And I understand why. That is terrifying. It goes completely contrary to Everything that's screaming inside of you right now, which is why it's what you need to do. Because everything screaming inside of you is what's kept you in bondage this whole time. Whatever naturally wells up inside of you, just do the opposite. Right? That's just a good rule for life. Right? If your flesh wells up and says, you should totally do this. Pretty sure you can find a verse that says, don't. Confess your sins one to another. Pray for one another. So that you might be healed. So confession. Confession should very oftentimes be public. You need to do this because the Bible says to. In fact, if you kind of do a deep dive into the Greek text, which I know I'm a geek, I like that stuff, you may not, but I kind of drop nuggets when I think they're important. If you get really down into the Greek geek part of it, that phrase literally says, confess your sins ones to others. Not even one to one person, ones to others, plural. The idea behind it is there's a group of people you're confessing your sin to and you're asking them to pray for you and hold you accountable. It's not even one on one, it's one on many. Right, it's community. Now, that does not mean, don't worry, we're not going to set up a mic next Sunday and like, confession mic, all right, here we go. Who really loves Jesus? Woo, come on. Not what I'm saying. But I will say this, this is why I tell you every week, get in a journey group. That is the perfect place for this. That is the perfect place. A small group of people who can know you and love you and encourage you, and you can raise your hand and go, listen, I, I need you guys to pray for me. 
Or, or if you're a guy and there are guys in the group, you just do a special guys time where you go, hey guys, I need you to, I need you to pray for me. Or ladies, ladies I, need you to, I need you to pray for me. It can be even sectioned off from inside there, but that is a perfect place for you to have people in your life who you can finally be honest with and finally get set free. This is the place. Confess your sins ones to others. And as we hear that confession from other people, what's our response to be? Compassion, mercy, grace, love. Saying, brother, I hear you. I've been there too. Let me tell you how I've struggled. Let's pray together. Let me encourage you. I'm going to ask you to encourage me. Right? This, this is healing. Confess your sins one to another. Pray for one another that you may finally be healed. The point in all of this, again, is that our response to every circumstance should always be to, re- to turn to the Lord. Everything. Everything. The good, the bad, the ups, the downs. When I'm suffering, when I'm sick, when I'm cheerful, when I'm sinning. In everything I turn to Him. Again, this is super duper uber practical. How do you live out the Christian faith in a way that actually bears fruit? You make Jesus everything. And in every circumstance and in every situation and all the highs and all the lows and all the goods and all the bads, the times of suffering, the times of cheerfulness, the times of sickness, the times of sin, in everything, I'm turning to Jesus, I'm turning to his word, and I'm turning to what his word told me to do. Everything turns back to him. In everything, in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus Christ for the glory of God the Father. That is how you actually begin to live out the faith. This is available to us. And in that last little part of verse 16, I'll just read that to you one more time. I love this. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Why do we do this? You are, so, so if we were to do a quick test, are you righteous? Most people would be like, ah. you know, if we did a scale of 1 to 10, how righteous are you? Like every person in here is circling 5. Maybe a seven, like if I'm feeling super duper good. But the truth is this. If we do a scale of one to ten and ask you how righteous you are, there are only two correct answers. Scale of one to ten, how righteous are you? Zero to ten. How righteous are you? Zero, nothing. Ten, perfection. There are only two correct answers. You are either a zero or you are a ten. Because your righteousness has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with Jesus. If you are not in Christ, your righteousness is a zero. You can't work anything up. Even your best days are filthy rags in the eyes of God. You've got nothing. And if you trusted by faith in Christ, he has made you a perfect ten in his own righteousness. Do you live that out always? No. Which is why we need to confess our sins to one another that we may be healed and grow But you are righteous. And because you're in Christ, and because he's made you righteous, and because you're pursuing him, and desiring him, and seeking him, your prayers have great, glorious, amazing power. Use it. Seek God in everything. Pursue God in everything. Sing praises to God in everything. Seek him. And 
man, he's going to do amazing things in here. I'm going to ask our band to come up. And as they're doing that, I want to finish it out. Verse 17. So he gives kind of an example. And I love the example that he gives. He gives the example of Elijah. Verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. So he gives an example of Elijah. So uh, if you want to read it, it's in 1 Kings uh, uh, 17 and 18. It's a story where Elijah uh, is called by God. So King Ahab has a wife, Jezebel. If you're looking for baby names and you have a daughter, don't pick Jezebel. Right? Not a good one. Just heads up. I'll Google it and read the story first. All right? I'll just uh, Don't just randomly pick up. Ooh, that's in the Bible. Um, so Ahab and Jezebel. Jezebel's wicked, horrible, just, just vile in every way possible. And to judge this, God calls Elijah and says, pray that there be a drought. So Elijah prays, and boom, no rain. Ultimately, we see here for three and a half years, this dude controlled the weather patterns of the earth for three and a half years just by praying. So you would look at him and go, whoa, I am not on that level. That guy's he is varsity, and I am JV. I can never reach that point. That is next-level stuff. But specifically here, what I want you to see in James, it says here that he had a nature like ours. What that means is this. Elijah wasn't wearing a cape. He was just a man with faults and failures and good days and bad days. So as you read through the story there of Elijah, so it starts there in verse 17. He prayed that it wouldn't rain, and boom, it stopped raining. Then God sent him to this brook, and birds showed up every day miraculously feeding him. Then he went to a widow and went to her and said, hey, can you feed me? And the widow's like, I only have a little bit left for a couple of cakes. I'm going to make that for me and my son. Then we're just going to die. And Elijah said, I'll tell you what, make a cake for me, and I promise you, your flour, it will never, God will take care of us. And he did. She made the cake, he ate the cake. Every morning they'd wake up and boom, all the flour and water, everything that's needed is there to make more cakes. And God sustained them. Then the, the, the woman's son died. And Elijah's like, oh God, why have you forgotten me? Excuse me? Like you ever, God did such amazing things, but then the one bad thing happens, you're like, forget it all. Takes the young boy upstairs, stretches out over him three times. God raises him from the dead, brings him back down to the woman. After that, he leaves and goes to Ahab the king. He's like, hey, showdown time. You get all your prophets, bring them. I'm going to come. Let's make a sacrifice. We'll call down and see whose God really is in charge. So all these prophets of Baal are there, and Elijah's on the other side. And he says, first you guys, make your sacrifices and call down to your God. And so they do. They make this sacrifice, and they're calling down for fire, calling down for Baal, the Asherah, to, to to bring fire, and nothing happens, of course. And so Elijah, I love it, he's mocking them. He's talking trash, like, maybe your God's in the bathroom. Talk louder. He actually said that. Then he's like, stand back. 
dump even more water on it. I want a trench full of water. I want it saturated. Then he calls to the Jehovah Most High God. Fire comes flying down from heaven, consumes the sacrifice, consumes the altar, consumes all the water. Then he pulls a sword and personally kills all the prophets of Baal. From there, he goes back to Ahab, prays, and boom, it rains again. Right? Starts out as a small little cloud, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then he was like, hey, we need to get on some chariots and get out of here because this is about to get nasty. And boom, the water came. That's an amazing three and a half years, correct? Imagine this. You prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't. Then God fed you with birds. Then God miraculously fed you with flour that just showed up every day. Then he used you to bring a kid back from the dead. Then he led you to call down fire from heaven. Then you prayed again and it started raining again. I'd imagine at that point you'd think there is nothing that God can't do. Right? You, at that point, you are faith-filled Superman, right? And then you get to verse 19, uh, chapter 19. Jezebel gets mad with all this. So what does Elijah do? He falls down on his face and begs God to kill him because he feels like he's been forgotten. Seriously? After all of that, God just kill me. And that's the reason why Elijah is using this. For two reasons. One, God used him to do unbelievable things. And number two, he was not a perfect man of faith. He walked and then he stumbled and he walked and then he stumbled and he walked and then he stumbled and he forgot the goodness of God and forgot that God had never left him and then forgot this and then remembered again and then forgot again and he wasn't perfect. He wasn't Superman. He wasn't wearing a cape. He was just a man. And the point is God took someone just like us and said, I'm going to use you and I'm going to work through your prayers And I'm going to accomplish great things through your simple, feeble, but honest faith. So for you, all the Christian life is meant to be lived in Christ. He is your life. He is your everything. Everything you say, do is for His glory and glory alone. When you're suffering, do you go to Him? When you're cheerful, do you sing praises to Him? When you're sick, do you call it to Him to heal you? When you're sinning, do you go to Him and His people to seek healing? God has great fruit laid out for you. But you've got to walk it out by faith. Are you ready to have the entire Christian life be your whole existence? It's just Jesus and everything. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. We're going to end our time today singing the song that we sang earlier. The battle is the Lord's. No matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what is going on, I go to Him, I trust Him, I sing to Him, I pursue Him. He is going to do this work. This is the call today. Trust God. Trust God. Pursue him in everything. 
Lord God, I pray for us that this will be who we are. The ups, the downs, the goods, the bads, the mountaintops, the valleys, we would just pursue you and seek you and desire you. And you would do this great work in us for your glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship together. All right, let's sing and let's celebrate. Come on. Nothing can stand against the 
Have a seat for me, guys, as we wrap up our time here this morning together. Uh, a couple of quick things. One, if, uh, if you're a guest with us, welcome to you. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, if you are a guest, we'd love to connect with you. Best, easiest way you can do that is just to grab your cell phone and text the word connect to our number on the screen. Uh, and also, my wife and I will be down front here. We'd love for you to come down and say hello. If you can put a name with a face, that'd be great. But if you're a guest with us, we're so so glad that you're here. I uh, want to throw out some quick announcements for everyone. It's our big three announcements. Something we want everyone to know as we go forward. First is this baptism. We're going to have a baptism on May 1st. Uh, if you're interested in that, though, while the date is May 1st, if you're interested in baptism, we need to know super duper quick, all right? So if you're interested in baptism, text the word baptism uh, today to our number there. Uh, so we can get that, and so we can sit down and talk with you and uh, walk through that process with you. So if you're interested in baptism, please let us know. Second, men's events. We've got a couple of big men's things we want you to know about. First, our men's retreat in October. This is amazing. I'm going to be there. Um, the whole staff's going to be there. We're encouraging all of our guys to go. This is going to be a great, great, great weekend. I believe that this weekend could be a catalyst for some amazing things happening, not just in our men, but in our church. Very excited about it. Guys, I want you to sign up, but the deadline for signing up is going to be uh, May 1st, all right? That is our deadline, so I need you to do that, all right? Text the word retreat. You can sign up uh, for uh, guys that are going. Uh, for men, uh, the, um, the, the cost is $50 deposit due at registration, right? You can bring also, if you have a, a son in high school, you can bring him with you as well. Middle school, you can bring him with you as well. Um, as long as the dad is coming, we'd love for you to come, bring your son, sign up for that. Second men, uh, second men's event I want you to know about is a whitewater rafting trip. It's going to be April 28th through May 1st coming up. So if you guys, if you're interested in that, you can text RAFT to our number, 910-424-1298. Uh, if you're interested in going that, same thing with sons. You can take your sons with you if you want, youth age. Um, but you got to be going first, dad. And so if you're interested in going, sign up for that. So guys, you can be a part of a couple of really big things. And then lastly... Easter weekend. Uh, some of you hopefully got a card in the mail. Uh, maybe you received that. We sent out some mailers inviting people um, in our community to uh, our Easter activity weekend. Uh, so we'd love for you to come and be a part of that. One, we've got the um, night of worship on Friday night. Saturday, we've got the picnic here on the grounds. With that is going to be barbecue cook-off. You want to sign up, sign up for that. If you want to sign your kid up for the Easter egg hunt, if you want to sign up for a big cornhole tournament that we're doing, if you want to sign up to volunteer and help, text EASTER for all of that stuff. Text EASTER, sign up your family so we know how many to prepare for, food-wise, all of that. Sign up, texting EASTER, and then also, obviously, EASTER services on Sunday. So excited. Invite someone with you. Come and be a part of that. Um, and uh, for all the other announcements, you can download our church app. Uh, to uh, um, uh, see everything that's going on and know what's happening here at our church and get plugged in. Um, one more quick thing. After the 11 o'clock service today, we're going to have a quick church vote. We had an HVAC unit go out. We just got a vote to uh, approve replacing that. So it's going to be after the 11 o'clock service in the FLC. All right? I do believe that is all that I have. God bless you guys. Let me pray for you and get you out of here, okay? Lord God, we just thank you that you are great and glorious and amazing. We look to you for everything. We trust you for everything. We ask you, God, that you would be empowered 
uh, in us, God, that we would be empowered as we turn to you. All of life in you, Jesus, for your glory. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.